Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Good afternoon and evening, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. For those of you joining for the first time, the reason I say good morning, good afternoon, good evening is because this show is ranked globally, and I have people listening from time zones all over the world. This particular week, this show is in the top 50 for entrepreneurship and business in Saudi Arabia. You just never know where somebody is, or because this is also a podcast in addition to the live stream, you just never know what time somebody's listening. I got a a note from somebody, it was 4 a.m. in the morning, they couldn't sleep, and they just listened to the show, and they wanted to shoot me a note for saying how happy they were that they could hear my voice at whatever hour they chose. So to that person, thank you so much for that. I'm glad you like my voice. And I love being here with you each and every week because I get to spend time with some amazing, amazing, amazing people. And my guest today is somebody who's been on the show before, who's somebody I know personally in my personal real life. I've met them in person physically. We've hugged, we've chatted, we've had cocktails together, a lot of laughs together as well. We've helped each other through difficult times and through joyous times, and I get to have her on the show today for what has become kind of a tradition for many, many friends who are authors, her launch day for her incredible new book, From Conflict to Courage, How to Stop Avoiding and Start Leading, with my dear friend Marlene Chisholm, who, as you can see, I have dog-eared this book to no end, top and bottom, and I've got handwritten notes in the margins, so I am just going to bring... Marlene Chisholm on the show. I've loved you forever. Your first book, Stop Workplace Drama, was mind-blowing to me, and I still refer it to people. And in case you didn't look yet, you are already a best-selling author on Amazon. Yes. (laughs) You are in the top 100 books on Amazon for this book on your launch day within hours of launch. So congratulations. Thank you. It's something I always check before a guest comes on on launch day because I've had several people that just want to launch every single book on my show. <laughs> they feel like it's a good luck charm. So thank you for being here with me well, with what to me, you know, not only the dog ears, you know, all over the place, but I love this book. And I would like to start out by just reading something to get the conversation rolling. I have so many notes on questions to ask you, um, Marlene, but I think this is something, well, it doesn't matter. It's my show. I get to ask whatever I want and say whatever I want to say. So I want to start out with this. This is in your preface. A lot of my questions actually come from later on in the book, but I used to think conflict was due to some difficult personality or situation. But then one day I started playing with an idea, the idea that there is no conflict unless there's an inner conflict. When you're disturbed, angry, emotional, or impatient, when you're thinking about what other people are doing wrong, or when you're dredging up the past and rehashing old grudges, you'll have conflict even when no one else is physically in the room. And then boom, there's a whole bunch of other stuff. 
Inner conflict grows when I believe every thought without challenging my narrative or when I assume I know someone's motives but don't have the courage to question their behavior. Inner conflict deepens when I hold a grudge or continue to harbor past resentments. Boy, I had a whole bunch of stuff come up just with that. When I put off a conversation because I fear the other person's defensiveness, it's only my inner conflict keeping me from moving forward. After all, the conversation hasn't even happened yet. That was just the first freaking page of the book. And you can see how much I've, I've tagged there and it goes on and I've got notes in the margins um, showing everybody on screen. I've got words I've written, um, you know, how I felt about different situations. I'm going through one right now and reading the book disturbed me because it made me address some issues. You know, you know, and my, most of my listeners know, I ran a multi-state company for 15 years. You know that I had tons of conflict and tons of avoidance for a number of things. I'm twice divorced. You know, on my second one, there was a whole bunch of stuff that you helped me through. And how did you come to that inner conflict, outer conflict as potentially the way to move from conflict to courage? Oh, through my own work. Um, I'm echoing. Can you hear that? I do not hear the echo. But if you do, do you want to go out and come back in? Is your microphone and your speaker in a spot where the microphone's picking up the speaker? If so, put it in front. Let me try again. Okay. I can just hear a little bit of echo. I think, and I that's so annoying. I hate when that happens. Maybe if I turn down the volume. Okay, we can try that. See if that works. Sorry, do so did I mess up your show? <laughs> this is live, and oh, okay. I don't edit my podcasts. You know, right. five years on broadcast have taught me what happens happens, and yeah, it's all part of the it, plan. Right? Yeah. So, are you still hearing your echo? I'm hearing you, but let's just try to see if I can make my focus better. So, what made me realize it was that if I believe in the idea that I'm responsible for my experience, and if I believe that one reason for relationship drama is that I don't know how to set appropriate boundaries, and if I believe certain things that I espouse in my teaching, I just started playing with the idea that in order to really resolve conflict, I had to come from a different place because as long as we are in this narrative about what someone's intention was or what they should have done, which they might have should have done something else. But um, there's a saying, and I took narrative coaching, a narrative coaching class, and a saying that stuck with me is that our stories are the source of our suffering. So if our stories that we tell ourselves about a situation or another person or about ourselves, if that is the source of my suffering, it means that I have to shape a new narrative in order to resolve it. Because as long as I think it's your fault, I'm going to be your enemy and I'm going to keep looking for blame. As long as I take responsibility for the part that I played, whether through lack of awareness, lack of clarity, wrong expectations, uh, trusting when I shouldn't have, didn't see the signs, whatever part I played, if I can own that, and if I can clean up what it is that I want and, and what part I played in it, then I can resolve conflict. But there is no conflict unless there's an inner conflict. Think about this. 
if I, let's say you and I are having some sort of conflict and I think I need to talk with her, but then I say, you know what? She's been through a hard time with a divorce. Her mom passed and I'm afraid she'll cry. I'm afraid she'll take it the wrong way. I've already created a conflict and we haven't even talked. I've already created a conflict that I should talk to you, but I can't because of the story I'm telling myself about how you're going to receive it. And so all I can do is clear up my motives. Like, is this the right timing? Do I still need to have the conversation? It's just the wrong time. Is it that I don't I haven't laid it out correctly to say my purpose is for us to get back on track versus you've been wrong here and I need to let you know is a different purpose than I'm confused. I feel vulnerable, but I know that we're in this and we're going to work it out. That's a different come from, a different intention. So if I can clean up my own intention, my own narrative, then I can resolve conflict because that's really where the major problem is. It's The examples you used stir up so many thoughts and questions, but beyond that, examples from my own life of when I've had that internal narrative when I knew I needed to address something, but it's like, I knew what that person was going through or I knew what was going on in my own life. And I'm like, you know, frankly, I can't even deal with this right now, or they're going to respond this way because maybe that's the way I responded. What are some of the ways, Marlene, that somebody can begin to once they recognize that, right, we all know awareness is the first step, but if you don't know the strategies or tactics, what are some ways people can then begin to say to themselves, okay, here's my inner conflict, but you know what, I really need to address this anyway. And are you still hearing your own echo? No. Okay. So one tip that I give, it's not a tip, it's a whole chapter, is on leadership clarity. And this works in your personal life as well as if you're dealing with a team member, an employee, a boss, a coworker, whatever. Um, leadership clarity is being able to accurately articulate the situation, the desired outcome, and the obstacles, either real or perceived. So if I say, well, the situation is, I feel nervous around them. They haven't called me back three times it's delayed a project. That's just the facts. I'm not making up a story about it. But we haven't talked. We're off. We're off track on our timing. Uh, the project is late. It's going to cost us a certain amount of money because of being late. That's the issue. That's the situation. What's the outcome? Is the outcome I want to pay them back? Is the outcome I want them to know how wrong they are? Is the outcome I want to get us back on track and, and, and work a little extra to get the project up to date? And if that's the outcome, I now have two points of tension. I have the dynamic tension required for me to create an outcome. This it requires, though, removing all that storyline and emotion about their intentions and what they should have done and all those distractions about what they did in the past. And I knew this would happen again. If you knew this would happen again, you it's the common denominator is you, right? Because you didn't set a boundary or an expectation. But then you can look at the obstacles and say, well, the obstacle is the things that they've been through lately. There's reasons for them being like not responsive. However, they're still responsible to the client and to our project together. So we start to look at outcome. We start to look at situation. And I do a, the whole chapter on leadership clarity <clears throat> came about because of my previous work on clarity, you know, in stop workplace drama of the boat, the mm -hmm. island, the shark. This was the thing that was just driving me crazy as a consultant. And I still get it today. And I'm trying to figure this out in a way that makes it easy for people it keeps you in business, though. <laughs> it does. Well, this is the problem that I face, though, as a consultant. Someone at the top has already decided what the solution is, 
and they're trying to hire me to check the boxes versus we need to define the situation, the outcome and the obstacles. And I am part of that value to you. For you to say, we've got a trust issue in our organization and we want three workshops or we want five um, initiatives to do over the course of a year, that can be a nice starting place. But the reality is until you identify and define the situation, you can think the problem is something and it's something else. And so part of the value that I think I offer is that leadership clarity to help define the real problem, the situation, the outcome you want, and the obstacles, and then decide if that's a good place to start or not. Versus, like I just got an email saying, I want to get back with you, but we haven't really defined our training initiatives yet. But see, the value I can offer is before you decide that it's a training issue is to talk with me because we can get the clarity first. Does that make sense? And it, it may not be a training issue, as you brilliantly point out in From Conflict to Courage, that that might be one thing you're thinking will solve the problem. But if it's not really the issue, then you're just throwing something at it that, yeah, it's great for the person who gets the business, but it's not necessarily solving the problem. It might solve little pieces of it and it can bring about awareness. You know, it can bring about awareness and through evolution, some things can, can line out. But I, I am really clear about this, that almost all big problems can be rooted back to a conversation that should have happened that didn't. So, it, yeah. Th- there's on page 148. <laughs> is that what that is? <laughs> I actually wrote page numbers on some of these things because uh, you just triggered the thought for me. I, I wrote down this note from page 148. If you've allowed the behavior for too long, you're probably anger with yourself. Yeah. So that would create a whole bunch of conflict as well, because every time you get with that employee or that manager or that business owner or husband or spouse or child, or even a vendor that you always deal with, you you just refuse to deal with it. So you get angry with yourself. I wrote down multiple situations where I've been allowing that because I didn't know how to deal with it. So I didn't want to deal with it. And then now I'm forced to deal with it. So thinking through that with what you said, you know, you have to understand your, your objectives, clarify what the situation is. When all of a sudden you realize that you've allowed the behavior for so long, you're angry at yourself. How then do you start beginning to create those three pieces of clarity? You know, the, the anger at yourself, a lot of people don't even realize that's where the anger really is because it feels so much better to abdicate responsibility. So I say blame is just a shortcut for avoiding responsibility, something like that. Right. It feels better for me to think you did something wrong than for me to look at what I did to help you to create that something wrong. Right. But what we have to do is we have to first take full responsibility for our experience and to own how we feel. It's not wrong to feel resentment. It's just a it's just an expression. It's just a feeling. It's just a it's a storyline. It's a bunch of facts mixed in with story. So you feel what you feel. But it's almost always a conversation that's going to change it. And that's going to be knowing what you want, knowing how to set an appropriate boundary, uh, knowing how to determine when enough is enough. And you have to understand that you're afraid of losing something, the argument, a relationship, money. And so I always tell people from a principled point of view, look at alignment more than opportunity. Because okay, expand on that. Okay. You'll never lose if you work from alignment. 
where we lose is we think, oh, this is a huge opportunity. And if it's a huge opportunity, it might mean big money for me, big exposure for me, and I might be selling my soul to get some of those things. In other words, I'm going against a value. I'm going against a process that I know works for me, and I'm doing it because there's an opportunity. And I say alignment trumps opportunity every single time. So if it's an opportunity that's not aligned to your processes, your systems, your values, you need to understand the risk involved with that. So you need to take responsibility if it, if it falls through. You, you, went, you went against your better knowing, and now it fell through, and now you know. An example for me is I, <clears throat> a few years ago, a pretty big company, very entrepreneurial uh, enterprise, someone that worked there uh, was a, a previous coaching client of mine wanting to get some coaching. Well, it turned into, look, I'm going to give you a half price deal because we've worked together before. I think I can help you and just get this agreement. The agreement turned into 18 page legal documents I needed to sign. And then it turned into, can we make payments? Then it turned into like, we're not quite ready. And I just thought, okay, I did the wrong thing from the beginning. My fees need to be what they are. You know what I'm saying? Like if you got to like on a small investment like that, if you've got to have approval from a board of directors at the time of what I was charging, that taught me something. Like it, I, my, one of my rules is I won't do anything for which I'm going to feel resentment because that means I was out mm-hmm. of alignment. That, that makes a, a lot of sense. You know, thinking through that, I agreed to do something and there was the resentment because I wasn't clear mm-hmm. about what I needed. They weren't clear about what they needed. I did something for an amount of money I was totally not happy with for what I would have normally gotten charged. And that resentment just build. And then you don't want to put in the time. And then that just creates even more anger and more resentment and guilt, right? Because that's not who you are. And then you like, well, how do I course correct from that? So when all of that is happening, Marlene, and you realize that you grabbed an opportunity because it seemed like an incredible opportunity or maybe, and I know this for a bunch of my listeners, Marlene, they take an opportunity that may be out of alignment because of fear, fear another opportunity won't come up Mm -hmm. or maybe monetarily right now they need the money or they feel it's a high value client that will bring them something else and then they realize well it's really not so how does somebody then they've got that hopefully come to that conclusion and they go well now what I've made this commitment well you have to you have to keep to your commitment because that's that's learning to trust yourself is doing what you have to do whatever you promise to do you still have to do it or you have to renegotiate because if you've made a promise, even though you didn't get paid what you should have, you just need to chalk that up to learning because the greatest person you can trust is yourself. And if you justify backing down and not delivering just based on you didn't get paid enough, uh, you should have set a better expectation, learn through hard knocks because you'll not do it again, but you've got to be in integrity to your values because that's where, that's where you learn to trust yourself. So if you screwed yourself over by offering to do something for half price or for less, then tell yourself that 
even if I feel resentment, I did it because I was in a place of need and I'm going to go ahead and deliver, trusting the process that I'm going to gain value. Don't make up a story about what's going to happen as a result of you giving the value because it may not happen. And even if they promise you something may happen, I don't make agreements based on your promises. I make agreements based on our solid document of agreement and payment terms. Because like, you know, used to, and I consider myself more of a professional speaker, there would be a wink, wink, like, oh, we have no budget this year. But I'm going to tell you that if you'll do this one next year, we're going to have an opportunity. You've heard this too, right? And we're going to have the budget next so year. So many they times. Ghost, they ghost you. They don't talk to you. And then you wonder, did I do a bad job? No, they sold you on a bill of goods and you bought into something based on a future that was never going to happen. So I always just say, I don't want to talk about future deals unless that's in the contract, right? Like it's about this deal or else if it's a part of the contract, then it's contractual right? And most of the time that backs it off. It gets real about they want something for free. You get real about whether that's valuable to you or not, or that you want to do it for practice or for trying a new audience. And then it's, it's a, a symbiotic at that point. It's, I love 10 situations that recently have come up, just echoed all, all of what you said, but I didn't look at it quite the way you were talking about it. It's like, okay, just be clear again, know that you only have now, right? That's one of the things I just talked for you, unless it's in the contract. And I, I thought of three things that could be added to the contract. If, if for that one thing, you know, maybe they could be asking for, you know, extra things that'll be coming out. Well, then they have to agree to send an email out for you or, um, promote you some other way or give you something else in exchange for it so that there's equal value. Um, I Not know that. Yeah. Am I excited? Like if right. I don't feel excited, if I feel a little bit suspicious or resentful or like, Oh, I wish I didn't have to do it. If I feel I go by feelings because I've learned that alignment equals peace, really, you know, clarity and alignment equals peace. And so if I, if it feels heavy to me, then either I'm not clear, I don't see the vision clearly enough, or the um, positive outcome enough. And so like even recently, uh, entered into a conversation about a potential opportunity that may may unfold may not. But I was honest, I talk about emotional integrity in the book. But I was honest with the person on the other end. And I said, I, I'm going to tell you what's going on for me. I'm excited because I see opportunity. But I also feel with the book launch coming up, my mom in a nursing home, I feel very much, um, I feel overwhelmed. And I was so glad that I said that because that person clarified and said, oh, no, you wouldn't be in charge of any of the technical stuff or learning this new program. I mean, oh, and see if I would have like been fake about that and been like, oh, it sounds awesome. Gosh, it's going to be so much money, so much opportunity, so much exposure. Well, that's fine. But if I'm also feeling overwhelmed, let's take that away and get realistic about the time frame or about what's required of me, because I want to live a life where I'm excited about my work and that I that even if it's difficult, I don't care because I'm excited because that will drive you. If you're not excited from the beginning, you know, Laura, I said in Stalbert Place Drama, if there's drama on the boat, there's going to be drama on the island. So I don't want drama in the boat. I want the process to be like, I'm clear about what I have to do. And that leads to a comment I wrote on page 172. <laughs> it's important to discern between the facts of a situation and the other person's experience of the situation. 
both of you have to be aligned, as you said, on what it is. But if you don't express, and I know this does not apply to every conflict. As a manager trying to speak to an employee, you can't always tell them everything that's going on for you, right? But um, you have to discern between the facts of a situation and the other person's experience of the situation. So you just explain the overwhelm. This is all the things you got on there. Like, oh, no, no, don't worry. You don't have to handle any of the tech stuff, which I always laugh because I love watching your social media. You were doing one of your LinkedIn learning and it happened to be you didn't go to their location because of COVID and everything and, and stuff that's going on in your life. So they sent everything. And thankfully, your husband oh, sent yes. everything up. Yes. But you were both really clear about what was needed and that you wouldn't necessarily be able to set that stuff up. I don't even want to grow in that way. Like, you know, one of the, the producers said, I'm going to challenge you to try another one. And you try to set it up. And I said, no, I don't want that challenge. I'm really clear that I don't need to grow there, don't want to grow there. I already expand my conflict capacity in so many other ways. And I'm not willing to be frustrated setting up equipment and then having to perform and read off of a teleprompter when I'm already mentally drained from something that is not going to be my way to make it in life. So the clarity of like, I don't need to impress anyone. That, oh, I struggled through and I finally did. I don't need that in that arena. Right. Like, and my husband liked doing it. So I was crystal clear that it will not be me setting this up. It will not be me. I will not touch it. I want to be rested. I want to do what I do best, which is talk about my content. And it turned out beautifully. And I wanted to speak to something you just said, because I think this is going to be really important for people to understand. Knowing your feelings won't change the facts but knowing the facts can change your feelings. And when you change your feelings, you change your experience. So it's all circular. So someone's experience is not necessarily the facts of the situation. So knowing your feelings do not change any of the facts, but knowing the facts can actually make you reinterpret, change your feelings. And then when you change your feelings, your experience shifts. Okay. Did I throw you for a loop on that one? No, 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 no. Uh, I'm just trying to formulate my thought question around that because you you speak about that quite a bit in a couple of chapters of the book where you actually lay out the work you would do before you sit down with somebody you were trying to handle a conflict with and use the example of an employee or whatever and working through those those feelings and you actually use some of the words that started my my mental loop rabbit hole saying no don't go down that rabbit hole right now but you said they wanted to challenge you to learn those things or try those things in in your book from conflict to courage one of the things you talk about is how using language like that can actually trigger the conversation to go off rails from what your goals are, what your objectives are for the conversation, that there's different languaging you can use to help somebody even possibly shift from those emotions and feelings and stuckness to, to that would you be willing to expand on some of that and share with my listeners some of the ways that they can rephrase things? When Are you talking about the magic phrase? Would you be willing? Yes. Okay. So here, here's the thing. So when you're testing for resistance, the magic phrase is, would you be willing? 
would you be willing? So if they would have said to me, would you be willing to try this? I could have still said no. And no is not resistance. No is clarity. But if I start making excuses, oh, it's going to be hard. Yes, it will be hard. Are you willing for it to be hard to expand? Well, it's just that I'm afraid I won't be able to be as focused. But are you willing to have that feeling of lack of focus and still try? That's how you test for willingness and test for clarity as well. Because if someone actually has a choice, which I did in this matter, right? If this wasn't a choice and the project depended upon me being willing, that's a different conversation, right? Nice. This project, my, my job and what I'm hired to do is build the content and deliver through a teleprompter with, and get coaching on how I can do it more effectively. So my job was not to set up equipment, right? But if that was part of my job, they would say, would you be willing? Because if you're not willing, you're not going to get the gig. Then that's a different conversation. Now I have to decide if I'm willing to feel that level of stress in order to accomplish this goal. Is that helpful? That, that is really helpful. And I can see how that conversation would also be helpful for my listeners who have parent, who are parents and have children. Yes. And the children don't want to try a new food or they don't want to go to school or do something like that. This conversation, that phrasing could potentially shift. Now, we know two-year-olds and five-year-olds. I've never had kids, but... I know a lot of friends who have, and I've been one. (laughs) So this applies to many areas beyond work, doesn't it? Yes, but I want to say something about this too that's a very important distinction. When we ask someone if they're willing and we're testing for resistance, like let's say in a workplace situation, we're asking to see if they're willing to do something. Now, if it's mandatory, we're trying to figure out where their resistance is so we can move them forward, right? Okay. If it's, but willingness suggests choice, does it not? Willingness, right. would you be willing, suggests you have a choice. I want to make a distinction here. So I was working with a group, and this was the problem. So they said, we've got one person that refuses to change their computer over to the new software. And it's causing a lot of problems downstream because we're supposed to change our software. But they give good reasons why they're not changing. What should I do? Now, in that question, there's all kinds of answers you could answer. Well, you just tell them that their job, you know, there's a lot of ways you can battle that out. But Mike, you always say it's all about the question, right? Right. So my question is, my first question before I answer is, is it, is it a choice? Do they have a choice? You know, they're refusing to do something you want them to do. Do they have a choice? And everybody on the Zoom call said yes. And I said, well, unfortunately, you've got your answer. They've said no. <laughs> they, you've given them a choice and they've said no. And then they go, oh, wait, well, no, 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 that's not. I said, oh, so it's mandatory? Now listen to this. We don't like the word mandatory because... <laughs> We want everybody to collaborate. And I said, but you're not collaborating now because someone is holding up progress based on the belief that they have a choice. So it actually is indeed mandatory and required. And I said, okay, wait a minute. I'm getting the feeling, even across the airwaves, that you all think I'm mean. And I go, well, you're very direct. And I said, is it more fair to be honest about what's required and work through where the resistance is and give them choices in areas where they have choice about what time of day to do it, when to do it, what kind of help to get versus pretend that they actually have a choice when indeed they don't. You know, so to me, being honest and in integrity in the conversation is to say, 
although there's probably good reasons why some people won't like this, it's still going to be something we have to do and there's a date to be completed. Then I said, I've got one more question. If they came up with enough good reasons, would your entire system say, we see the light and you are right and we're not going to change over to this computer software? And they said, no. I said, so then in effect, it is mandatory. (laughs) (laughs) You may not like me and you may not like the word, but that's the reality. That's the fact, right? Right. And the facts have to, well, don't have to, but hopefully would shift they're thinking in their position because it is affecting the bottom line and, and so many other people. And they can find out where the resistance was. So you would use willingness in this case, knowing that they have to do it, right? You could use willingness by saying, are you willing to, um, are you willing to look at the instructions and upload the first piece of the software? Well, I would, but it's going to take extra time. So extra time is now the barrier okay, would you be willing to do that if we allotted the extra time? Well, it's really not that. It's that I don't really know how to do X, Y, Z, and only Melissa knows how to do that. So if we got Melissa to help you, would you be willing? You see what I'm saying? Because we're finding out where the resistance is because the fact is if they want to keep this job, they have to do it. So we're going to find out where the resistance is and shorten the gap so that whether it's getting you the resource, the assistance, the training, the IT support, the scheduling, whatever needs to happen for you to do this, when you're clear as a leader that it's going to happen, you can still use willingness or you can have the fight and say, look, it's mandatory. Don't want to hurt your feelings. Got to do it. No excuses. You can do that. Or you can play with these ideas. You can test for willingness and figure out what the real barrier is because there's a barrier somewhere that's making this person not want to do that. And if you can figure that out, you can get their willingness and agreement on something they have to do anyway. Okay, so what do you say to those that are listening that have an employee in that kind of situation? It is a mandatory thing. They have to do this thing. They go through this willingness thing and the person says basically just is completely unwilling to consider it. Do you fire them on the spot? No, no. You say here's the outcome of that. I'm I'm clear that you don't want to do this. I'm clear that you're not willing. So what's going to happen as a result? There's these two choices, right? You can move to this department and transfer. That's going to be a pay cut, whatever. You can work virtually instead of at the office, whatever the deal is. If that's an option. Whatever the option is, these are the options if you're not willing. And and I'm not judging it. You don't want to do it. It's not, you, you feel like you can't do it, whatever the reasons are. We've come to this fork in the road. Then it is like the one thing you fire for is will, like willingness. I'm not willing to do what is required of me in my job. That's one reason for firing. It's to me, the other reasons, like whenever I'm doing, when I'm analyzing what the performance issues are, I found that it's either going to be clarity, priority, resources, skill, or willingness. The other things you can fix, willingness, you can't fix. So you have to decide if you're going to move somewhere, move someone in, if they've got that choice, or if you have to let them go. But if you do the conversation right, they become very clear that this is not the right fit at this time anyway. So it's not a trick. You're not documenting to to fire someone later. You've had a conversation. They don't want to do it. They're not willing. They get they need to do it. And they're very clear that this isn't you being mad at them. It's just something that's happening company-wide. And it's just not going to work anymore. Say during that conversation, the they're not willing for whatever reason, but this employee has been somebody that has never been a problem before, 
has always done everything asked, excelled, is well-liked by every employee, is otherwise a model employee, but all of a sudden there's this one thing. Do you still basically say, that's it, you're done? No, I don't think so. I think that there's, I think there's probably other choices. Is there someone else that can do it? Is there hiring someone part-time? You have to negotiate these things because until you're really in the real situation, it's not like a cookie cutter approach. The point being, if they're that model, probably they're going to be willing. You know, if they're that model of an employee, chances are this is an unrealistic scenario. They're going to try to negotiate or tell you the truth about why something's difficult. And it's going to be a skills issue or a resource issue. And so that's where you fix that. So if it's really a lack of willingness, that's going to generally be someone that's been allowed to be obstinate for quite a long time. Is it appropriate to ask something like, um, you know, you've worked with us for 10 years or something. There's never been an issue before. Is there something going on that yes. you're uncomfortable yes. bringing up so you can just yes. ask outright? Yeah, in, in the book, as you know, there's a blueprint for difficult conversations. The first part of the blueprint is, is leadership clarity. That's you starting the conversation from the intention, talking about the situation, how it's affecting the workplace and so on. The second part of the conversation is employee clarity. And that's where you've said what you need to say. My intention for this conversation is to talk about the software update. What I've observed is you've not updated yours. Everybody else has. Um what I want is for you to, to open up to me. What I don't want is you to think that you're in trouble right now. This is a, a conversation to explore how I can support you. But this is how this is affecting operations. Because you're not updated, it's being, there's a ripple effect, a domino effect that maybe you don't realize. So walk me through your thinking on this whole thing. Now we get to hear what the story is. Now we get to hear where the stuck place is. Now we get to hear their expression of why it's not fair, why we've never had anything mandatory, why they've always been model and now they're going through this hard time. And if we do indeed figure out that for where they are, they're having a mental health crisis, they have a loved one in a nursing home, and we figure out it's a real resource issue, we can work with that. What we can't work with is someone being obstinate that they're not going to do what everybody else does. You can't work with that. Okay. So it's a, it's okay to ask straight yeah, out, but to know it's a plan for that mm-hmm. in advance and know what you want your outcome to be from the conversation, whether it's moving forward, not moving forward, whatever it may be. Okay, I get that. Um, you mentioned in the book, when people don't see their choices, they abdicate responsibility. It sounds like this is a, a case of that. You've gone through several different scenarios I know from several of my clients and in my own role as having founded and run and sold a company that owners sometimes vacate. They, they just, they're done. They can't see any other choices. They're, they're just tired and they're done. What do you recommend when people don't see their choices, whether it's the entrepreneur the small business owner, the manager, the employee, the spouse, the whatever. What I would say is that I say when you find your choice, you found your power. When you feel that you have no choice, you're in a victim mindset. You believe that you're stuck. You're being held hostage. 
Um, so what you've got to do, you've got to reassess a situation where you felt held hostage, no choices, had no other reason way but to do X, Y, and Z. You have to get quiet. You have to get quiet, whether it's for a day, two days, a week, and the answer will come to you. And you just keep saying, what choice did I have that I didn't see? Or what choice do I have in the future? And here's what I can share with you, because you know I know that your listeners know that you had a mom that you cared for during her last years, and I'm in that place right now. My mother is in skilled, or not skilled nursing, but long-term care. There are times when it is it's so painful, it is so drama-filled, and when I go, I feel held hostage because there's a major problem. I just now showed up for a visit. There's not a CNA in sight. And I, like, I, I just feel like I'm going to scream. And then the anger that, you know, dementia causes in your loved one. And, you know, I've been triggered a few times thinking, wow, I've written a book on From Conflict to Courage, but this is the exception right here, you know. And so, so like, yeah. here's what came up for me. What came up for me when I got quiet, I was just certain that I was 100% right and that in some way my mom's doing this stuff on purpose, even though she's 83 blind and on oxygen, right? Like I've got these stories because it just can't feel like I'm doing anything wrong. So what came to me was no matter what I enter into, I always have a choice. I have a choice to say, mom, I need to go reset because I'm feeling a lot of anxiety or I've got to go a choice to go hunt down some help in the hallway I've got a choice to even just, if it's not an emergency, to just say, I can't stay and I'm sorry, because that's better than me engaging in something with a person that truly doesn't have choice right now. And so, like, the one with clarity navigates the ship. And if I'm not clear and if I'm not aligned on how I want to show up, I'm going to get pulled in because, as you know, Laura, it's exhausting. It's incredibly exhausting. It's spiritually, emotionally, and mentally the most exhausting thing if you love a person and you are standing by their side and not avoiding and dumping them off. It is the most exhausting thing you'll ever go through. And so it will tax you in ways that you won't even know that you're being taxed. So what I did was I got quiet and um, I just decided I always have choices. And even when I don't see them, I'm going to go get quiet, have meditation and say, I've got a choice. I just don't see it yet because I refuse to take on a victim identity. I refuse to. And it's so easy in the situation you were just describing because there's so much coming at you and so many emotions involved that you, you don't even know how to unpack some of those emotions. That's right. That, and then you don't know what else is going on anywhere else and your mom can't tell you what's going on for her. No. Because she doesn't literally anymore have the ability to sort of... I mean, of she's got the ability to blame me. <laughs> but, right, right. But, but that triggers me, right? And so right. I have to just go, well, she can't help that. Like, she's not going to think logically. And I have to just say, oh, I'm sorry. Or, oh, you're right. You know, and so yeah. it's against everything I teach, right? The appeasing, yeah. the avoidance. And yet in this situation, that's good management. Right. And, and to the facts part as well. Right. Yeah. The facts in her mind are not necessarily the facts. No, they've been muddled in the brain. And for you and I are people that live and breathe facts to have somebody tell a story that, you know, isn't factual. It's really hard to let it go. That was one of the biggest lessons for me in that. Yeah, discernment but, is difficult. Discernment takes a lot of discipline and focus. 
you know, because when you're hearing one story from this person and another from that one, it's easy to jump and fly off the handle and then go in to blame yourself, thinking you're rescuing someone. But you have to listen, take a breath and say, I have to discern. There's some facts. There's some, you know, like today, uh, hospice called me and said, uh, your mom said something and I don't know if it's the truth or not. But she said, you wrote a book and got some awards from it. And I said, yeah, I actually did. <laughs> she said, oh, my God, really? I said, yeah, I said, today's the launch. You know, so I think that's pretty funny that we don't know when to believe someone, especially when they're really you know, elderly or they've got some problems with hearing, seeing cognitive problems and so my mom was spot on and this yeah. one's like yeah right okay well, i'll call her daughter and see if she's got a book yes i do it's actually in the second drawer go find it well kudos to that person for calling you to verify instead of just negating right. perhaps what was said and everything that's a beautiful thing and not every aid in those facilities because they're so overworked they are very overworked yeah think of doing that so that's that's a beautiful Beautiful thing that just happened. And yes, you have won awards. You mentioned the word rescuer in there. And you speak to this a lot in your first book, Stop Workplace Drama, and even in No Drama Leadership. And you allude to it in From Conflict to Courage. Looking at the the world of victim and rescuer, when you're entering into trying to resolve conflict, should those words can and I know that I've walked into situations wanting to be the rescuer, right? Any of us who are consultants, coaches, fixers, right? I've been described as a fixer my entire life. If you can't get something to to work technically or otherwise, if you don't know who to go to, you go to Laura and she will have the answers, right? Going into a conflict with the idea of being a rescuer, is that the best approach, not the best approach? Is it a good thing? Is it a not so good thing? How do you shift we, that if that's where your brain wants to go? I don't think that we mostly consciously think of ourselves as rescue. I think it's just a pattern of behavior. And then we mm-hmm. identify it later, perhaps. Um, a lot of us know that we like to fix things. We like to give comfort to, you know, people in nursing and healthcare, they are natural rescuers because they feel compassion, they want to help. And that's part of their real job. Firefighters, it's part of their job. So in that aspect, they have to do that. But in the aspect I'm talking about, we can want to fix things and give advice and, and, you know, muddy the waters by giving too much information or our opinions and whatnot. It's really important to see other people as your equal in value. So you might have different roles, You might be someone's boss. You might be their subordinate. You might be their teammate. If you can see humanity, each other as an equal, that's going to benefit you the most. Because if you see other people as empowered and as having choices, even if they can't see them, you can then facilitate helping them to see choice versus fixing their problem, telling them what their choices are, giving them like you can either do this or this instead of instead of saying, look, you got three choices. You can do A, you can do B, or you can do C. You can say, what do you think your choices are? Because, you know, it's kind of all about the questions, right? So what do you think your choices are? You'll know where someone is in their idea of victimhood if they have no choices and everybody else is persecuting them. Oh, I'm not, I'm not ever included. I'm not ever, no one ever considers my idea. It's never fair for me. Well, you can pretty much see that that person, there may be some facts surrounding some of that, but they've got a victim narrative. And what you believe about yourself is what you're going to keep creating. So what you want to say is, is that always true? 
if I were to ask for your opinion now, what would it be? And most of the time they haven't thought it through. Because when we feel empowered, we've already thought these things through. We're willing to take ownership. We're willing to take the initiative. We're willing to facilitate instead of always waiting for someone else to do it. We see ourselves as the ones that include and invite. We don't have to be invited because we're empowered. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes. We see ourselves differently as empowered and that there's always someone that likes what I do and that can connect with me. And that, you know, when you start to see yourself as equal instead of less than or better than, it changes the game. Now, say you're in a situation where people have choices, but it's a limited set of choices, right? Um, I'm thinking of somebody working at McDonald's, okay? Let's just use this example because it's easy enough to be kind of linear with it. If somebody's hired at McDonald's, there is a very specific set of rules they have to follow and how they make, uh, you know, the 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 hamburgers, the french fries, the whatever. If somebody doesn't do it the right way, the corporate way, then because they're like, well, I don't want to make it that way. (laughs) Obviously, they don't have a choice. Well, that was the agreement they took upon taking that job. That was the agreement you made up front. You don't get to change it midstream just because you think it needs to be done differently. (laughs) Right. Now, say you go to a more soft skills kind of job where it's um, a Fortune 100 company, you're working in the accounting department perhaps, and you're typically just told, okay, well, you know that the taxes are due by a certain time or we have to have the P&L statements or the quarter close at a certain time. How you get there doesn't matter. Now, all of a sudden, they're like, well, I have certain choices about my day and how it goes. And then somebody comes in and says, we no longer are doing that that way. This is how you have to do it. Mm. That can create a conflict for the employee and the manager because upper level is pushing some things down. What would be your suggestions for both sides of the equation on how to deal with it? They had choice and now they don't. Yeah, I think it just, again, it calls for a conversation. Okay. And the conversation is walk me through. Why is this changing? What created this change? And is there room for negotiation? If it's that much conflict and you're a skilled accountant, you have a choice to get a different job. You know, you always are at some sort of not a viable choice every single time. But when choice is taken away from you, it's probably because there's been an abdication of responsibility somewhere. So, you know, in the book, I talk about the balance between choice and responsibility. Right. And the more responsibility you have, typically the more freedoms you have. So when you get up into being executive level, you're not beholden to a schedule of clocking in and putting on a uniform and working by the same people every day and tearing down equipment or putting the widget on. You're an executive. You've got a lot of freedom. You've also got a ton of responsibility for results of sales, of product produced or whatnot. So the, the lower the level of responsibility, the lower level of choice. Prisoners, they have low choice, low responsibility. They're kept in a cell 22 hours out of the day, Not a lot of choice, not a lot of responsibility. Babies, not a lot of choice, no responsibility, right? They scream, they kick, they do whatever, they do what they want to do, no responsibility, someone cares for them. You turn 16, you get some choice, you get a driver's license. That's not without responsibility. 
You have to go get insurance. You have to turn in the keys at midnight if it's your parents' car. You have to abide by the rules of taxation. I mean, there's all kinds of things you have to do in order to have that freedom. So anytime there's a freedom that's taken away, I would say somewhere there's been an abdication of responsibility. So it's trying to uncover that and then deciding whether you can live with that or not, because one of your choices is I choose not to and I move on. Yeah, because the truth is, if, if you had all the freedoms in the world and then somehow the top executives come in and say you no longer have those, those freedoms, they did that for a reason. Was something not getting turned in on time? Was something, was there a risk of a lawsuit? Was there, did they uncover a big problem because there's no controls on it? So there's a reason why those things happen. They don't just happen because someone decides to take your freedoms away. So you have to understand that when something changes, there's a reason for it to change. And then they should get your book, From Conflict to Courage, so they can work through all the exercises that I have I mean, crazy dog-eared for those who are not watching the video of this book. So they need to get that book because there's so much in here. And we all know that these books can never give you 100% of what you need to do because every situation is a little bit different, which means there has to be a way to reach you, Marlene Chisholm, in case somebody wants to continue the conversation or um, hire you to help get clarity. They can find me at MarleneChisholm.com. That's my website. And my email is Marlene at MarleneChisholm.com. And it's C-H-I-S-M. You got it there. And if you want to be with me on my live streams with LinkedIn, just follow me on LinkedIn. Or you can connect and say you saw me here on Laura's podcast. And if you follow, you'll get updates as to when I'm going live, which is once a month. And that's about all I have the energy to do. But I always do a lot of heavy content, 30 minutes every single month. Yeah, it's wonderful stuff that you do out there. Anger management, conflict resolution, so many great things. And they can get your book today, launch day and every day, um, everywhere books are sold, correct? Yeah, Amazon. And like, if you want discounts, I just found out, you know, used to, I'd be like, oh, let me talk to the publisher. If you buy X amount, what can you get it for? Like, I just decided I'm not doing that anymore. There's a place, I didn't even know about it till recently. And I'm so happy because we, as you know, Laura, we don't make money on books. That's the publisher. No. That's their deal, right? This helps us to get our work out into the world. So I'm not about, oh, I've made $2 on that book. I don't, I don't. Yeah, unless you're J.K. Rowling or James. Yeah, I think it matters because you're making money. Yeah. It's just a couple of thousand. It's not that big a deal. So you can go to porchlightbooks.com and like it. Let's say you're going to do a book club. You could buy 30 and it's like, I don't know, 12 bucks a piece. Like it's cheap, very cheap. So Porchlight Books, there's another one called Book Depository. If you're global, if you're in Greece, if you're in Saudi Arabia, you're in India, uh, there's a, um, it's um, what I just said. I can't think of what book it is. To, book depository. Yeah, book depository. You can get it there and it shows the different like amounts. Like here's German money. Here's, you know, Arabic money. Like I don't understand all that, but they do it. And so you can get it there. And Porchlight Books, I love them. Uh, they used to be 800 CEO reads. And I, whenever I spoke at events and people wanted a tip in page or a signed page or whatever, I would arrange with 800 CEO Reads, now Porchlight Books, to do that and have all the signed books and ship and everything there. An incredible, incredible company. I've actually had them on the show. 
Wow. Amazing. Yeah. I was shocked at the pricing. The pricing was fantastic. Yeah. And they're a family owned company, which is truly, truly wonderful in this day and age. And they love books and they love authors. So it's great. Um, Any last thoughts you'd like to share with my listeners, Marlene? Um, In all conflict, there's always um, an inner conflict first. And then um, the one with clarity navigates the ship and clarity can change any situation. So I'll, I'll leave you with that. I love that. It's so perfect. And every this book, truly, truly, Marlene, I've loved every book you've written, as you know, and they're all dog-eared. This one's taking you to another level. It's like all the work you've done in with all your other books has, it's a seminal work about conflict. Yeah, this and is my best piece of work. And I'll say so far that it feels like this was, I was so ready for it. It was so authentic. I wasn't even like, oh, I'm so excited. It's a book. It just had to be written. And I found the right mm-hmm. publisher. In fact, the first one that it went through did not go through and I was okay with it because I said I would rather it not go through if we're not a good fit if you don't get my message because I'm so clear that this needs to be out there that I trust the universe that it's going to be out there that that person introduced me to a different publisher and even with it was Barrett Kohler and with Barrett Kohler my first conversation was I'm willing to rewrite the proposal one time and if we cannot if we're not synced I'm just going to know that as a sign it didn't write because it doesn't have to be that hard. I'm clear on my message. If they're the right one for me, they'll be clear that I am. I don't want them to take a risk on something they feel like is not going to work for them. So there was this clarity from the beginning of I really knew this work was supposed to go out there and that the right framework would come along and it did. Yeah, and your team that's been involved with the launch is incredible. Heather, I just love Heather. Heather and Weaving Influence, you know, yes. Weaving Influence. I mean, just it's been so much fun. The entire thing, I have to say, has been just enjoyable to the nth degree. I've enjoyed the whole process. I haven't been like all hyped up on like, oh, launch day is the end all be all. It's it's just ongoing work. And the whole time has been really fun. And my, my first book was like, oh, my God, I got my first book. It was Wiley. Then it was like, oh, I had to push to get another one because I'm elevating. And it was no drama leadership. And I feel like it was so hard to birth that book that I'm like, I never want that experience again. You know, this is, this was so easy. It was just, it was right where it was supposed to be. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. And thank you for coming on to the show for launch day and sharing your wisdom. Thanks with for my having listeners. me. Everybody, we've just heard from Marlene Chisholm. If you're watching video, MarleneChisholm.com is in the uh, underneath the video right now. Her book, From Conflict to Courage, How to Stop Avoiding and Start Leading. I encourage everyone listening to get this book, whether you're an entrepreneur, not an entrepreneur, a parent, not a parent. If you are living on the planet you're dealing with conflict. Sadly, that's just the way of the world right now. And for me, reading this book, it helped me work through some of the conflicts, inner conflicts that I was having that were leading to outer conflicts. And because of it, I written myself several notes, even during the show today, of some steps to take to get quiet, to resolve my inner conflict so I can resolve the outer ones. So grab a copy of this book today. As Marlene said, I am all about the questions because the right questions can change your life. And this book shares some amazing questions to ask yourself. Have a great day, everyone. And remember, the right questions can change your life. 
You've been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today.